This is Rating Descended. Where we watch IMDb's Worst 250 so you don't have to. My name is Abigail Ward. I'm Michelle St. Clair. And tonight we're watching S. Darko. Donnie Darko's little sister Samantha and her best friend Corey are on a cross-country road trip but soon find themselves entangled in a dangerous glitch in the time-space continuum. Let's watch. Hey, Abby. Yeah, Michelle. We got another email. Did we? Yeah, we did. We did. Oh, now, you, now, you already know that we got this email, but I didn't read you out the entire email. We got another email from Olivia Bernard. Oh. Hey, RD Squad. It's me again, and I've made more art. I had just watched Batman and Robin when I heard it was the next movie on the list, and since you liked the first drawing so much, I felt inspired and love it we did. <laughs> we did. Here's a little something-something to get you through the next eps. Hope your faces look accurate enough and not totally uncanny valley. And... <laughs> I, we will post the art along with the episode, and it is so good. Yes, we love it. Thank you so much. It, and I love that I'm, I mean, I know I'm meant to be like Poison Ivy. Yeah. But I'm also a green girly anyway, so yeah. I feel like I would wear that outfit. I think I think it was said, yeah, I wanted to capture a very particular dynamic that pops up from time to time <laughs> on the pod. I'll leave it up to you to decide if I got it right. And given <laughs> that you, are, that you, Abby, are threatening to kill me, yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> That's us. <laughs> oh, my God. I, I just want to... I need to see it again. Hang on. Yeah, Let me pull, pull it up because I've got it here. Just for the listeners, it is me as... What is it? Victor Freeze's wife, you know, stuck in the... It stuck frozen in the in the water chamber with Abby uh, as Poison Abby, as it denotes. <laughs> outside, sort of like with her foot dangling to threatening to pull the plug on... Pull the plow, power plug on it. I'm just... I'm thrilled that I have anything to do with Uma Thurman in any world, really. And I love just the attention to detail. Like, I've got the, you know, drag kind of wig, spiral buns. I mean, you're a hot blonde. (laughs) Thanks. Yeah. My tits look also, like, really proportionate as well. Like, in this photo... That's the size of my tits, I reckon. Yeah. Would you? Do you reckon? I think so. I think she's I think nailed my tits. She's nailed your tits. <laughs> <laughs> and also, yeah, I got. I think she's like kind of just nailed my body in general. Like, just amazing. It's really great, and we really, really love it. Like uh, I said, we'll post it. Um, uh, we'll post it like we did last time, and and tag yeah, Olivia's website in it. But she also. Added in a little PS. Um, Mm -hmm. One was a PS. Sorry, Shane, I didn't have an image of you to use as a reference, which I think is fair. (laughs) Um, But a little PPS. You didn't ask for any takes on the new Atla, meaning Avatar The Last Airbender, from a few eps ago. But as long as I'm here, I shall boldly offer one. Now, I asked Olivia if if we wanted to share this. The problem I had with Sokka from the original show was that there was never any justification for why he was sexist. And he doesn't really become a full character until they get to Kyoshi. This is in reference to us talking about how they were talking about taking out the... Yeah, the character sexism. Yeah. yeah. Nobody else in his tribe seemed to be, including his dad and the other warriors. So where would he have gotten it from? His granny? Or he just randomly invented modern sexism? The Northern Water Tribe was sexist, but not the Southern, seemingly. He also doesn't become a real character until we get to Kyoshi Island. So I'm not mad that we don't yet have another story where a boy learns that girls are people. That's true. That's actually a very good take. I think so. I think it's interesting. Mm. I feel like the implication is that Sokka is sexist because he would have seen that the warriors are protecting the tribe. And Mm. I think he mostly is just like, 
if if I remember, we sort of uh, get a point where we unpack like, oh, he feels that he must be the protection from the tribe, mm. and that sort of morphs into his sexism. I don't remember enough about Avatar. Like we had our watch through of it in like 2019 with Tony, friend of the podcast. Mm. Uh, but I don't really remember the dynamics within the Water Tribe. But I do remember that, like, it is true that if there is no one else, you know, displaying overt sexism, mm. you do have to wonder where he learned it from. Because the only reason we struggle with it now is that it is taught and repeated. Totally, I I do think it works in the sense that. Um, Real life boys often learn sexism passively, mm. and I feel like you get the implication that Sokka has learned it passively from just again having this role th- thrust upon him. Yeah, and it's one of those things where like maybe in universe it's a little tenuous, but it's meant to be thematic. Mm. So I do, I do think it works for me, but I actually think this is not a bad take at all. Like I think yeah, it's a pretty yeah, fair yeah. point of view. A hundred percent, and it is true. A lot of sexism is completely passively picked up you know it isn't there's plenty of men that think that they're woke that think that they aren't sexist that they don't have something ingrained within them that will be just prejudiced towards the women's capabilities but unfortunately they they will they do yeah they definitely do people that i've met men that i'm like you have the best intentions and i know that you think you've like intellect intellectualized sexism and that you're past it there's still things that you sort of unconsciously expect of women totally that you have not addressed yeah, I mean, often that can be felt in so much of, like, those little things of men not realising that they're kind of expecting that the important women in their life to kind of solve things for them. Listen clean to thi- them. Listen to them, clean yeah. things for them. And often, like, totally impassively being like, I clean too because you take out the rubbish once mm. a week and, like, you're not doing the dishes, you're not yeah. doing the actual scrubbing. Like- it's oh, the I remember, like, years ago when I read this thing of, like, the the problem with the dynamic now is that now women are realizing uh, now women are allowed to pursue careers. They're allowed to have a nine to five and, and they're encouraged to have a nine to five and to, to bring in as much income as their partner, but their partner, the men still haven't realized that they then have to do 50% of the housework. Yeah. And that hasn't, the amount of dynamics I've seen where there's a couple that are bringing in the same income, maybe the woman's bringing in even more income, but the woman is still doing most of the housework. Housework is like a full-time job. Yeah. If you're taking care of a house, if you're cleaning the house, that's a lot of time in your day yeah. to get through your chores. If you're both out working, you both get home, you're both exhausted, and then the woman has to cook dinner and clean up. Yeah. Where's the equality in that? Exactly. And, like, it manifests in so many ways. When I was teaching more often, like, I came out while I was teaching, and before I came out, I had 100% positive feedback scores. Oh, dude. <laughs> yeah. And afterwards, that went down to 80 which my boss, the head of film, like nicely was yeah. like wondering why this had come up, uh, had come up, wanted to talk to me about it. And two of the other female teachers was like, you know, that's been the ceiling for my scores this whole time. Yeah, I had more of the male students, almost all of whom saw themselves as progressive. Like there were some yeah. students who were conservative, but they actually weren't the problem in th- for this mm. of like, I had a lot more students doubting that what I said was authoritatively true. Yes. A lot more of them were questioning if I was right. The questions took the tone from, oh, how does this work to why isn't it this way? Mm. And it, it was wild to see. I'm like, guys, you you have to, like, I, I am here because I'm the authoritative voice on yeah. this subject. Gee, I wonder why you no longer believe exactly. me. Exactly. You no longer trust my decisions, my input. Yeah. Now you're suddenly questioning everything I'm saying. Yeah. And they would do it on set too, where they didn't realize they weren't at all listening to their female collaborators and really always listening to their male ones. And again, 
meaning well, mm. but just not realizing their own habits and what they were doing. Again, yeah, it's, it is like, I think in these cases, sometimes it is the people that think they are progressive that might be more dangerous. Yeah, Because totally. they don't actually recognize their shortcomings. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly. And if you ever try and pull them up in it, they become completely defensive yeah. because it's not something they've ever had to address before. They're like, no, 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 I've like... I watch TikToks, so I'm pretty across feminism at the moment. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've uh, I've seen a TikTok. <laughs> I've seen a TikTok or two. I will say, in the idea of like subconsciously picking up, um, you know, I guess expectations of either gender, because I'm married mm-hmm. and I'm married to a man, mm-hmm. and I myself am a woman, mm-hmm. and I am a white woman, mm-hmm. I get a lot of trad wife content slung my way. Sure, and there's a lot of content of women being like. I was miserable with my husband because he wouldn't listen to me. He was rude. He wouldn't actually take on my, yeah, like every time I tried to talk to him, he'd say I was like nagging or complaining. But then I fell into my feminine, uh, my feminine role. Oh, Christ. And he fell into his more masculine role. And now everything's better. Oh, now I have geez. learned to take direction. Oh my God. Now I have learned to listen and I've learned to serve my man. Oh. <laughs> I'm getting content like that. It Empty. makes my skin crawl. <laughs> I'm like, why? Well, it just so happens that these women also bake really nice bread and knit really nice things. And I like those two things. So it almost confuses the algorithm where they're like, well, she likes to knit and look at people making bread. So therefore, she must want this ultra conservative trad wife nonsense. Oh, my God. That's not actually what being like a homemaker or (laughs) a wife is. Like, oh, my God. Occasionally, I see a homemaker on TikTok that's like, finally, you found a homemaker that isn't trying to like shove religious or sexist rhetoric down your throat. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah. At this, that is it is rare at this point. It's, it's <laughs> to hard to a, find. It is. It is. I hate that I'm in that. Like that's the worst bit about getting married to Claude. That's well. That's pretty. I mean, if that's the worst bit, that's that's pretty good marriage. Yeah, it's pretty good marriage. Pretty good marriage. Fucked up my algorithm, but pretty good marriage. <laughs> hey, all all of the algorithms are fucked at this point. <laughs> that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Can't get better than that, buddy. <laughs> Speaking of uh, pretty good. Oh, this week we watched something. That is the antithesis. Aye, pretty good. There we go. I was. I thought you were going to come in with a semi-sizzling take. Yeah, just, <laughs> for a second. Just like minorly sizzling, really, is what I came in with. No, not sizzling. This not is, sizzling. This is Luke on this warm. list. It's Luke bad. Warm. People think it's bad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this week we watched F's Darko, and it it <laughs> was <laughs> one of the weirder ones. <laughs> yeah, one of the weirder ones for sure. I, I look. I can't. I can't say it was boring. Yeah, it certainly wasn't boring. Well, I, I could say it was boring, but I, I could yeah, say okay, it, had it was boring, <laughs> but I can't say it wasn't unique. That's true. And there weren't well, memorable bits. I mean, it wasn't unique because it's a sequel to Donnie Darko. Yeah, is it though? <laughs> is it? It's a, well, okay. So I rewatched Donnie Darko. Did you in the lead up to this? Well, because that's a movie that I fucking loved as a teenager. Absolutely loved it. When I say teenager, I mean I first watched it when I was 15. Mm. It's one of those movies that I actually would partly attribute to helping propel me. Like, at that point, I already wanted to be a director, but Mm. it sort of was one of those expanding my idea of movies, you know, how I would want to make movies, how you could approach movies. Mm. And right up to, like, late teens, I was, like, in film school. I was someone who was in film school talking about Donnie Darko. What Mm. a stereotype. Mm. Um which is ironic because S. Darko was the one that would have come out when I was in high school. Yeah. Um, and, like, re-watching it, yeah, the third act, it's not that it doesn't hold up. You know, it's a weird movie. And uh, I remember reading that the director said that he was worried if he over-explained the ending, it would collapse under its own pretension. 
and I do think he was right to make that call. I do think once you get to the end of it and you get to the looping aspect of it, rather than feeling like, oh, man, what does that mean? There's a little bit of, like, what just happened, mm. which can be good, but I do think is off-putting for a lot of people. Yeah. I do think a lot of the, a lot more of the movie prior to that works than people give it credit for, and the opening 20 minutes is genuinely one of the best opening 20 minutes to any indie movie I've seen. Yeah. It's got spectacular direction. The opening bit with fucking Echo and the Money Men playing while he's riding the bike. Which song? Um, the Killing Moon. Under a blue moon, like, I saw you. Exactly. So simple, I see you. Which also, I guess, is like Open a little joke. Because bunny, bunny men. Ah, you know, true. Frank the Rabbit. True. But there's the, the bit where, you know, he goes to school and like literally, apparently the producer described it as an indulgent music video until mm. he saw the result. Oh, well, he where, didn't see the end of Estarco, but no. we'll get to that. <laughs> where he comes out of the bus and it's this shot that starts horizontal and then as he jumps out of it, it like rotates to vertical and then sort of follows him in. And mm. it... It sets this tone of like the specific nostalgia, but also unease of being in high school at I that think, age. I think that's what people liked about Donnie Darko. Wasn't really just like the sci-fi creepy aspects of it, yeah. or the the horror aspects of it, or the thriller aspects. It's literally just how it made people feel about being a teenager at the time. Yeah, because it, well, it came out in nineteen no two thousand one. Two thousand one, and it was very you know kind of late nineties. I'm a fucking angry kid in high school and because of everything that because totally. of just the idea of the world's ending so fuck it and it gives this character the mm. the lenience to be able to just do whatever the fuck he wants it's almost like these kids would watch it and be like fuck i wish i could do that i wish i could do what donnie did in that scene yeah you know when he's like saying like fuck you to that teacher but the dialogue is so sharp in it mm. i was someone who as a teenager i loved the director's cut of it i was mm. like you gotta watch it it makes it all make sense and like the, d- the director's cut features scenes that were cut for time for a good reason as well as like excerpts from the book that's in it, the philosophy of time travel. Yeah, yeah. And that it quote unquote explain it in the most confusing way possible. Mm. And like now as a as an adult, I'm like, that explains it in a way that is antithetical to film. The mm. director's cut is definitively worse. Yeah, Theatrical yeah. all the fucking way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like some like I mean, I love the director's cut of Lord of the Rings, but sometimes I watch the theatrical ones and I'm like, this is a better film. It is it is they, they it's zip, tighter. They move. We don't need all of that like like, you know, kind of dead air, but I love the atmosphere, but we don't need it. They don't feel like they're three hours when you watch the theatricals, yeah. but they feel like they're three and a half to four when you watch the extended. Yeah, yeah. And as a kid we always did extended, so when I went back to theatrical, I was like fuck, this is good. Yeah. This is like what what I did want. But I was never a massive Donnie Darko person. I think I came to it too late maybe. Mm. Like I I watched it when I was a teenager, but I think I was just a bit – it just didn't strike me in the right – at the right time in the right way. Totally. So it was just something that I never fully got into. I don't think I had the anger or angst to be able to get fully behind it. As a a kid who felt very disassociative, it's Mm. a very disassociative movie that's also very direction heavy. Yeah. I think if you rewatched it, you'd appreciate the script in the first half, but Mm. I I think you would hate the second half. I remember hating the second (laughs) half. I remember as the film went on, I loved the setup, but I remember as it went on, I was like, fuck this weird bullshit. I don't care about this fucking (laughs) rabbit man. Like, I, I still remember, you know, the last, like the end of it where the what ends up killing him what ends up falling on him 
Um, a jet turbine. Jet turbine. When it Specifically falls. the jet turbine that from the plane that his mum and younger sister were in in mm. that alt timeline Yeah, when and they so go into a portal. I remember that shot of like Maggie Gyllenhaal, you know, her character, the older sister, gets home and she's in the hallway like cowering. I think about that shot all Same. the time. It always so stuck weird. with me. I think it was a really well-directed scene, but yeah. I remember at that point I was like, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> that's what I mean. Like that's the specific point where I think under explaining it you end up losing something Yeah, instead yeah. of – gaining something yeah yeah and i mean like it's it's a cult film for a good reason i think it is a good film i think that it's it resonates with teenagers in a really pertinent way so mm. it does a really good job no matter what i'm just not much of a i, I guess i'm not much of like a thriller horror kind of person you know Fair. so it doesn't grab me as much i think but- i had a phase where i liked them more but even though i don't particularly gravitate towards them now yeah yeah but then we come to this film you, okay, S. Darko. You know what? You know what my take is. Okay, tell me. I think this this movie's bad. Mm. I think it's made by someone who genuinely likes the original. Mm. I don't. I don't know if the decision to make it was made by anyone who likes the original, but the impression that I get is that because it references deep things from the original, which watching them one after the other, I could mm. really tell. Mm. But I also think it was made by someone who doesn't understand any of the reasons whatsoever that people like the first one. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So I think they like it. They just like it for all of the worst parts. So someone who likes the director's cut of it, you know? So the person who made it... The person who made it... Sorry. The person who made it... That was me yawning. <laughs> I realised no one would be able to tell. <laughs> you just... It sounded like you were about to sing Where Is My Mind. The thing about this film is that it was made by a man who did really like Donnie Darko. I fucking knew it! He loved it. He thought it was great. Is his name like Richard Stripe or something? Uh, Chris Fisher. Chris Fisher. <laughs> Richard Stripe. <laughs> it's a good director name. It is. Meets Chris Fisher. Yeah. <laughs> Chris Fisher uh, created it. And I'll tell you now. Fuck. I can't get into my yawning cycle. Sometimes when we're, we're recording, <laughs> suddenly I yawn and I can't stop yawning and then Michelle will start yawning because yeah. she's watching me yawn. And then it's just I'm, I'm terrible looking right cycle. at you. I'm sorry. I apologize. <laughs> this film <laughs> was created by Chris Fisher. He had nothing to do with the original Donnie Darko, obviously. No, I could tell. But more notably, the director of the initial Donnie Darko. Richard Kelly? Had, did not sign off for this film. No. And he had nothing to do with it. Also, God, the, the original the cast is stacked. The original cast is amazing. And also, I think part of the thing with this film, Jake Gyllenhaal, I remember reading about it, is so influential in mm. the development of certain aspects and script aspects wow. of Tony Dark. Yeah, once they once he was on board, like he apparently pulled over in his car so he could finish reading it. He mm. loved the script. Yeah. He was obsessed with it. He replaced Jason Schwartzman, oh, who wow. was originally cast. He, I'm so glad he did. Uh, yeah. I just can't visualize it. But he he had the idea of like Maggie Gyllenhaal coming on, the way he talks to Frank, like so many, and mm. he was one who was pushing hard for a, a non-explanative ending and having these drifty things, mm. all the tone stuff. Yeah, not having Jake Gyllenhaal, I think, is part of why this film is why it is as yeah. much as Richard Kelly. Yeah, well, apparently, yeah, like as you say, it's a stack cast in the first one because it's got Jake Gyllenhaal, Jenna Malone, Maggie Gyllenhaal, Drew Barrymore, Mary McDonnell. Mm. Patrick Swayze. Yeah. Um, God, I love Mary McDonald. James Duvall. And also that woman, I think her, the woman who plays the teacher as well. Uh, oh. Uh, She's in everything. 
Wait, Drew Barrymore? No, no, no the Which, teacher. Oh, oh he her. Tells yes, off. that teacher. Yeah. yeah. If you need a, a Christian fundamentalist woman in anything from the last She'll 30 always years, play it's it. her. Yeah. You know, she plays like the woman in Little Miss Sunshine that won't let them in because they're three minutes late past three o'clock and they're begging her. Yeah. You know? So she's always that like stick in the mud character. Yeah. Mrs. Robinson was in it. I can't remember the actress's name. Cuckoo, cachoo, Mrs. Robinson. Jesus loves you more than you would know. And Bancroft. And Bancroft, yeah. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, the, the, as the therapist. Wow. It's a huge cast. It's a, it's a fucking great cast. I obviously, you know, I'll, I'll get into some key details so we can really talk about yeah. it. But, you know, if anyone hasn't seen Donnie Darko, it's it's set in October 1988, and the film follows Donnie Darko, an emotionally troubled teenager who inadvertently escapes a bizarre accident by sleepwalking. He has visions of Frank, a mysterious figure in a rabbit costume, who informs him that the world will end in just over 28 days. That's the premise. Great, yeah. great premise. Great premise. And then we've got S. Darko. So this was, as I said, directed by Chris Fisher. It. How much do you think it cost to make? The Darko? Yeah. A movie where they sort of wander about in the desert for for an hour and a half. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it should have cost a hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> it cost four million. Four million dollars. Okay. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> how much do you think it made at the box office? I think it made one million dollars. You are dead on. <laughs> <laughs> well <Like> done. Yes. <laughs> Um, and this cast, so we have, I don't even know how to say her name, Deve, Deve, Deve Chase plays Samantha. Oh, yes, Lilo. And, Lilo. And she, Samara Morgan. And, and Samara Morgan. She plays, she's a notable voice actress. She also played the original little sister of Donnie Darko. She's reprising her role. Really? It's the same little girl. It, I didn't realize that was Deve Chase in the original. Yeah, because the original came out in 2008. This came out in 2009. Eight years had passed. She wow. was 10 in Donnie Darko. She was 18 in this. Wow, I totally didn't realize that. Yeah. That's really Same cool, actually. Yeah. yeah, she's really sick. She, she's a great voice actress, but she's not a great screen actress. Well, and she is a Reading Descending All-Star because of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we also have Brianna Evigan Ev- Ev- as Corey Korn. Corey Korn? I didn't know her name was Corey Korn. <laughs> Corey Sorry. Korn. <laughs> I didn't know her name was Korn. Korn. <laughs> Corey Korn. <laughs> <laughs> she, I noticed, I, I remembered her because she was the lead from Step Up Two. Oh, the, sure. The step the streets, dance the streets. I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. But I, I thought it was great when I was a teenager. Yeah, I thought she was sick. It, they're all good when you're a teenager. We've got Ed Westwick as Randy Holt. Ed Westwick was notable for being in Gossip Girl. Oh yeah, yeah. Got Gossip Girl's in this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He he's is the bad boy of Gossip he's Girl. So bad in this. He's so he's shocking. Pretty bad in Gossip Girl yeah, too. Yeah, to be honest, I've never seen an episode of Gossip Girl, but he's, I'm sure he is. I told you I watched it because of my high school girlfriend. Um, which especially the first season, which meant even though even though I fucking hate that show, I have a lot of opinions on the way it ends mm. because it ends in the most idiotic way possible. Is it all a dream? No, it's not. It's not all a dream because the whole thing is we don't know who Gossip Girl is. Yeah, Gossip Girl is revealed to be Penn Badgley's character. Spoilers for Gossip Girl, but also don't watch it. It's Penn Badgley. He's he's the guy in You. You know the the Netflix show You. He's got like the curly hair. Yeah, but you might have seen. And I don't think so. But sure. I'm sure I'm, I'll probably recognize him. In Gossip Girl, you know, there's the main cast. There's three guys, three girls. Mm. The two main guys are the guy from S. Darko, who's like the bad boy. Mm. And then, I don't know, Nate or something, who's the blandest fucking oh, white Chase, boy in the world. The, characters, the guy that plays him is like Chase something. Yeah. Chase Chancer or something. Yeah, yeah, something like that. And then there's Penn Badgley's character, who is like poor 
not compared to us, but compared to them. Like, okay. you know, w- which means he's like sort of the outsider. He's the sweet boy, though. He's like right. the guy you want uh, Blake Lively's character to kind of end up with instead of Nate because Nate sucks. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah, I've just looked him up. I know. Yeah. Yeah. And then yeah. at the end, it's the reveal that he is Gossip Girl, which both is something that is idiotic. It's antithetical to his. He did it as revenge, but yeah. it also doesn't make sense with like half of the show. <laughs> I did it's not expect just... you to know so much about Gossip Girl. <laughs> like, I, I, I know that you're, that you know, ex girlfriend watched it, but I did not know you know, knew that much. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, hey, she was like 16, right? When she made you watch it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah a lot yeah. of 16-year-old girls I, I don't loved be- it. I don't begrudge her for watching well, it. Not I- for that. <laughs> for other things. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of reasons I begrudge her, but it's not for watching <laughs> Gossip Girl. <laughs> but there was a whole like, period of my life where I kept sat, like t- signing off on things, being like XOXO Gossip Girl. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You did. <laughs> Gossip Girl was great. And then we've also got James Lafferty as Justin Sparrow, yeah. who is the weird homeless dude walking around. Related in some way to Grandma Death and the original. Who fucking thought of these names? I'm sorry, Cor- Corey Corn, Justin Sparrow. Well, and Sparrow then- is a last name from the original, at least. Right. And then you've got Jackson Rathbone yes. returning from Twilight. Who was in... Obviously from Twilight New Moon and, of course, Avatar The Last Airbender. Yeah. He's now a triple all-star. Yeah, and he plays Jeremy Frame. I wonder if they were like, he's called Jeremy Frame because Frame. he wears glasses. Oh, fuck I don't know. off. <laughs> And then, God, Jackson Rathbone's so weird. You know, you know how like we guy. were joking about Confederate gold because he plays a Confederate like yeah. soldier from Twilight, <laughs> yeah. which is bizarre. Turns out he's re- he's a descendant of Stonewall Jackson, who's what? a Confederate general in the Civil War. They should not have made him play. I think it was pretty have... apt, to be honest. Apt casting. I know, but I think he should have maybe some humility. Yeah. About that. If I was, yeah. I'm just saying, if I was related to a Confederate, I would not jump into a Confederate role. You know what I mean? I guess it, it I know, it also depends on the Confederate, you know? <laughs> really does. I don't know if it does that much. Well, there's some Confederates <laughs> that were genuinely anti slavery, they just had to fight for their, their state. Sure, sure. I mean, yeah. there's, a, there's a lot of people that were wrapped up in it. But anyway, this is not, <laughs> we're not getting into this. Stonewall Jackson was the weirdest guy, by the way. Yeah, he, was. He, he, like, apparently he thought that he, like, he he it sounds like he had ocd like he always thought that his body was like off kilter and so he oh. would always like hang an arm longer than the other one they'd be like why are you standing like that and he'd be like because my arms are too my left arm is too long and they're like you look uncomfortable <laughs> he always thought that like the backs of chairs weren't straight enough even if they were straight as a board he was like this will ruin my spine <laughs> he was really he was a really strange guy weird guy oh man um then we've got Elizabeth Berkeley as Trudy Kavanagh, who's that religious girl. Mm. We've got Matthew Davis as Pastor John Wayne. Coming back from Urban Legends Final Cut. Yeah, and it's, it's fucking, you know, it's... Um, Warren it's, from Legally Blonde. Is that his name, Warren, or is it... Something like Warren. Something similar. Warren? The the guy that leaves her at the beginning, yeah. you know, the asshole ex. Who then at the end gets, like, the subtitle that's basically like, Warren Warren sucks and he gave up on life. Yeah. And, and now he's in a fucking hole. We hope he fucking killed himself. <laughs> I hope he rots. And then we've got John Hawks as Phil, the motel. Oh, and he's yes. uh, from Deadwood. He's, yes, he's Saul. Saul, yeah. yeah like uh, Timothy Oliphant's best friend in Deadwood. It's 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 so, so conflicting when I see an actor that I like in something like this because I'm like, oh, hey. Aww. Oh, this must have been a tough year for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's rough, buddy. So let's go into the overview. And yeah. this is possibly the worst overview I've ever read, I've ever written. <laughs> How do you explain this plot? I, I I just gave up. I think I was like a paragraph in where I was like, there's no way I can make this make sense. This so is, I'm not going to bother. The last thing he wanted where we just didn't understand it. <laughs> I don't have an overview. I don't have an overview. Maybe still my favorite episode for that moment. <laughs> well, I do have an overview, but it won't make sense. Sure. <clears throat> 
Donnie Darko's little sister Sam is running away with her best friend Corey. Corey Corn. Corey Corn. <laughs> when the car breaks down in Utah, local bad boy Randy helps them out while they meet some eccentric locals <laughs> to brush over a few scenes. Samantha struggles with Donnie's death and sleepwalks. She meets a homeless dude called Justin and tells him the world will end. Corey and Samantha fight before Samantha is killed by a car. Corey feels really bad and manages to turn back time to be killed in Samantha's place. Yeah. A geeky guy called Jeremy has a crush on Samantha and pressures her into a date where he becomes violent and pushes her over, killing her. <laughs> Justin finds her- Samantha and turns back time so that he is killed by a falling meteorite instead. <laughs> Corey and Samantha are alive again, and Samantha decides to go home while Corey stays with Randy. The end. <laughs> it's the best I could do. I think it's actually pretty good. Thanks. I think it's actually pretty good. Let's just, can I, I, I don't want to, you know, completely get out of order, but I do want to say... The end of it. Yeah. I did not think they were going to end it with a Cocteau Twins song. They just use like Heaven or Las Vegas for the entire thing. Yeah. It's like, I love that song, but the Cocteau Twins are so fucking silly. I love the fact that their lyrics are always like, It's literally gibberish. I remember reading this interview with the Cocteau Twins and they were like, no, we don't care about words as lyrics. We just want the sound of the words to sound right for the song. Yeah, totally. So they'll just sing gibberish that's, so that it sounds good with the music. Which, that's how I listen to music anyway. California. <laughs> you know when you galifanoo? <laughs> oh, I thought it was like California, but California. Nah, it's just galifanoo. <laughs> galifanoo. Cocteau Twins is one of Claude's favorite bands. Well, I like it's, them. It's, it's so... This is what I mean. The ending is trying to directly mirror the ending in the original, where Johnny ends up dying mm. because the time loop. But the, the part of what because is because the time loop because the time loop. <laughs> <laughs> but part of what's interesting about Johnny Darko that works even if you don't get why the time loop happens is the specific the specificity that you see of two things in the epilogue. Mm. One is part of the lesson and takeaway almost feels like Donnie's Donnie not being that means that all these people will live and be okay. <laughs> you know, yeah. several people die in the third act mm. who don't die in the scenario where Donnie isn't there anymore. Yeah. 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 But also that what we're seeing is all of them waking up clearly feeling like there's a, something they're forgetting. Yeah. So they have some sort of memory of, we see Patrick Swayze's character, who's like a real, you know, self-help guy who gets revealed to have a kiddie porn dungeon crying. Oh, yeah. I don't remember that. Oh yeah. It's a whole, well, that's like Donnie burns down his house, but it ends up being a good thing because he had like a fucking dungeon of porn, which fuck? is bad for the Christian teacher because she has worships this guy. Oh. It's like a, you know, a little irony thing. Yeah. He's there like crying in remorse that we see the teacher, feeling awkward we see noah wiles character because you know he and drew barrymore the two teachers are sleeping together but she gets like fired towards the end of the movie he just like looks over concerned for her we see frank who and then i'm gonna come back to this in the movie is just a kid who designed a sick ass rabbit costume mm. having just drawn the the outfit and like touching his eye because he's has this memory of being shot in the eye you mm. know they clearly feel something of what they yeah. just lost yeah this does the same like side tracking montage shots between them but it's just of people just sort of being around yeah it's not like they're remembering anything or anything's changed it's really just like 
Corey Corn and Randy will be in Utah together forever, and Jeremy Glasses isn't going to buy a meteorite. <laughs> yeah, but instead the motel owner is going to get radiation sickness from it because yeah. he scratches his arm. Sorry, Jeremy Frame, not Jeremy Glasses. <laughs> I, was, I thought Jeremy you were doing Glasses. a bit. I didn't realize you were saying I was. But, the, but also Fully the, was. the kid, the missing kid, we see him trapped in the fucking dungeon. Like, <laughs> in the original, it was a kiddie porn thing, which is like still harm. Yeah. But in this one, the the implication is that it was the priest that did it, not the Iraq war vet- yeah, veteran yeah, with yeah. PTSD. Because you kind of get that one shot towards the end where it's like, hey, that's my bracelet. Then we see him sinister in the car and you're like, oh my mm. God, it's him. He fucking did it. He's, yeah. He took the kid. Yeah. He's so creepy. And we're like, so the kid's just going to die in the dungeon. Yeah. That's it. So I didn't mention this in the overview, but there's a kid in the town that's missing called Billy Moorcroft. Yeah. And Billy, yeah, the implication is that the pastor did it. Yeah. Features nothing into the plot. No, there's a whole subplot about this pastor and he's really creepy. He tries to make a move on Sam. He, like, basically tries to, like, fucking rape her. Like, he puts his hand on her thigh. Yeah. She's, like, 18. And then he's got this follower called Trudy. and That's her name, right? Trudy. Trudy. Yeah. And she's really devout. She worships him. It is all these vague, terrible parallels to a much better film that came out eight years prior. Yeah. You know, with better themes, better characters. That's what I mean. They're, like, yeah. doing the thing. I'm like, you clearly like the yeah, original. But they did but- use Cocteau Twins. <laughs> Well, the original one has fucking needle drop after needle drop. You, yeah. If you're doing S. Darko, you have to put good music in it. Yeah. Hey, there were a few couple of good songs. I think I agree. Yeah. I don't think the problem was with the soundtrack. No. You know? no, no, that's the last thing that was a problem in <laughs> no, this film. Genuinely. The girl who played Sam was unfortunately so fucking cement-like, you know? Yeah. She could not emote. She could not express herself. She always just would narrow her eyes at someone and just be like, what do you mean? Yeah. No. I don't have to go there. I'm not going. And that's the thing. Like, Donnie in the original is, like, sort of disassociative. But he also has both an anger and also, like, mischief. Yeah, yeah. Which is part of what makes him an enjoyable character to watch. He's also he's a character that clearly I think a lot of young men at the time could really relate to. Totally. They were like, he was a bit of a hero because he said what I think a lot of young men wanted to say. But also he has this, like, kind of genuinely sweet romance with Jenna Malone's character. Yeah. The equivalent of this, I guess, is Randy, who seems to... <laughs> Like, bad boy Randy. Bad boy Randy, who seems to kind of want both of them. Yeah, he has this thing with Sam where he they're talking about brothers and and they're, they're they've both got brothers that are missing or dead. And yeah. then, but then you think he's got a romance with Corey, and then Corey and him are the ones that stay. And also, in both know. the timeline where Sam dies and the timeline, also bold. I think it is genuinely bold to kill off your main character halfway through. Only to bring her back five like, minutes later. Yeah, five later. minutes later. I was shocked by that because I was like, Corey's not the main character, so what the fuck is going on? Yeah, it was... Anyway, but... <laughs> that whole bit was nuts. In, in both Sam Dies and Corey Dies timeline, Randy receives so much of the burden of guilt and trauma. I'm like, I kind of feel bad for Randy. Like, no matter what, he's just kind of got this blame that isn't really his fault. Yeah, he says to Corey, like, I'm really sorry. But actually, Corey's nice about it. She's like, I know, you didn't mean to do it. But then when... Sam comes back and then Corey is killed in her place. Sam's really pissed off at Randy. She's like, bring my friend back. It's like, why didn't she get out of the car? I don't know, man. The confusing thing, why they put like three loops in this one. Because in the original, it's Frank uh, as a vision because he kills Frank. And then does the, the whole, at, right at the end, before the end of the loop. In this one, Sam is herself the Frank to Iraq Jack. Uh, awful thing to call someone that guy's a vet yeah <laughs> iraq jack he's dealing with issues and everyone thinks he's the scum of the earth yeah 
Um, so that veteran's got PTSD. Scorn him. <laughs> Scorn him. Get him out of here. <laughs> let's call, let's just name him. He's Iraq Jack. That's awful. Let's let him be homeless. <laughs> yeah. Imagine you live in a small town. You have a motel and you won't let the homeless guy stay in it. Yeah. You know, if it's like fucking empty, you got no nothing else, like no one else staying there. Yeah. You're like, no, sit on the streets in our what population of eighty people in our Utah town. <laughs> There's so few of them. <laughs> <laughs> for them to be so mean to Iraq Jack. Can I just say as well? Yeah, you can. California. <laughs> for new. For I, new. Oh my god. I, I also had so much umbrage with uh, t- now I'm just now I'm just whinging. I but that's the whole podcast. Yeah. I had so much umbrage with two of the things they did about trying to draw parallels with Frank. Because like I said, one is that they sort of split Frank in two because Sam is Frank this time, but to Iraq Jack, but also the kid is Frank, but to Corey. Yeah. Sam doesn't have her Frank. No. Which is odd. But also like, the guy, Iraq Jack makes the bunny mask because he's getting the visions but like and he also keeps saying donnie likes to draw the implication being he saw the vision of it in donnie's donnie didn't draw the mask frank did frank was a real kid who made a real outfit that's why he dresses like that because it was for halloween didn't watch donnie darko keenly enough (laughs) you know the bunny isn't some strange spirit it's a real outfit someone made (laughs) frank's an artist (laughs) well so we need to talk about the fact that jeremy frame you know, obviously he's he's getting infected by this meteorite or whatever. Why does it, I get and it. There's this bit where she's like, what's happened to your arm? And his arm is like a fully got like a tennis ball sized open wound. And he's like, oh, it's nothing. And he's like, shirt is covered in blood. <laughs> you see blood. Put a bandage on it. Like, oh I get God. you're trying to downplay it, but put a bandage on but it. But that final scene, they go to sit in a park. She's in a dress and they're watching meteorites yeah. in the sky. Well, but they're actually tesseracts. Well, he, I think he sees it and she doesn't. Yeah, it's meant to be this like universe opens up there's a black hole there was a lot of doctor who-esque like opening theme song portals that you're spinning through <laughs> yeah, at there certain was. Points. but at a certain point he's looking up and it's just what looks like tesseracts falling down on them again and again and again yeah. which god if i was like tripping balls watching this film i would have had a great time <laughs> but unfortunately i was sober unfortunately that was that's the tagline of this whole like fucking podcast but i also just think there's that bit in the date where he starts getting violent towards her because yeah. he wants her to kiss him and she's like, you're just a fucking cock tease, which is really <laughs> fucking creepy. But there's this bit where, like, yeah, he basically pushes her and <laughs> she falls onto the ground, clearly hits her head on a rock, which is on what the kills mask, her. On the bunny on the mask. mask. It goes through her head, right? Yeah. But the, it, it goes through her skull. But the audio for it is just a bit delayed. So it's like <laughs> she falls and then it's like... <laughs> It made me cackle. It made me cackle so hard. Oh, the, the, the sound effects in this whole thing were insane. This one person had one job, which was to match the sound up to the rough time it would have happened. It was even <laughs> but they just couldn't get it to work. Also, the the wides in this thing. There's something about so many of the setups, and it was so obvious in the scenes with Jeremy Frame mm. in particular. I don't know why. Where like all of the scenes were covered with two singles and the most like awkwardly stagey sort of mid sort of corner angle wide that you would see in like a student production. Like that's a director who's been told, Oh yeah, the way you cover a scene is with a wide and two singles. Yeah, yeah. And they would constantly cut back to it yeah. to show movement. My least favorite thing like as an editor, any director I've worked with, some of whom listen to this podcast can tell you, I 
whinge so hard about having to cut to an awkwardly staged wide just to show a character like getting up or walking over. And this is why it looks like shit. There's this scene where she and Jeremy are in a hallway and then it cuts yes. to a wide and the oh, suddenly the audio is really echoey and far away. Yes. And it's, it feels amateur. It feels like a student film where it's just the voices reverberating in a hall. It's because the boom is further away because oh they're using God. the source from the wide. It's a terrible why choice. Why they fix it in post? Because they're bad at their job. <laughs> <laughs> also, let's talk about some of the quotes in this because at a certain point in this film I was worried that it was like trying to be like satirical or trying to be like just it was trying to be blatantly bad because of some of the dialogue Mm -hmm. like there was that scene where Trudy the religious woman is like Keneo Springs used to be a decent place then came the drugs and (laughs) anus sex And so I was like, this has to be a, a joke, right? It's like yeah. a joke film. There's also that bit where they're talking, like Pastor John is talking to Sam and Corey. And then I think Sam says, what do you think God's farts taste like? And then Sam's like, marshmallow peeps. <laughs> like I was like, this has to be a joke. <laughs> well, there was also the bit where uh, Cor- they were meeting Jeremy Frame, sorry, Jer- Jerry Glasses yeah. for the first time. Um, and <laughs> yeah. And Corey, Corey, Corey is being so fucking weird. I know she's being facetious, but at one point she just asks, are you a gay? Yeah. Are you a gay? (laughs) And then when they get up and leave, Sam's just like, I don't think you're a gay. (laughs) (laughs) I I forgot that. (laughs) Such a good one-two punch. And then like Trudy, where she's like, I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Really? What's he like? He's big and strong, tan. Lots of muscles. He's got lightning bolts shooting out of his eyes. Like, I was like, what the fuck? I thought that was leading into a thing where, like, she is seeing visions of this universe as Frank. No, she just has an insane vision of Christ in her mind. Oh, my God. I just think that there were just bits in this film where I was like, is it trying to be bad? But I think it was just genuinely really bizarre. I think it just didn't understand what was good about the original. No. I mean, do you want to hear some trivia? I would love to. IMDb Trivia. Okay, Michelle. I would love to. I think what this podcast has been missing is vocal fry. California. <laughs> California. California. <laughs> California. Jason Schwartzman. They should have brought it back for this one. So trivia. <clears throat> Richard Kelly, the original director of Donnie Darko, has not seen this film and vows not to, as it had nothing to do with him, and it tainted and meddled with his original vision for the Darko mythology. (laughs) He went on to say in an interview, I hate it when people ask me about that sequel because I had nothing to do with it, and I hate when people try and blame me or hold me responsible for it because I had no involvement. I don't control the underlying rights to the Donnie Darko franchise. I had to relinquish them when I was 24 years old. I hate when people ask me about that because I've never seen it, and I never will. So... Don't ask me about the sequel. Those people are making lots of money. They're certainly making lots of money off of me. So I, he seems really... I kind of get it. Yeah. I would be embittered too if I made... it Because reading about it, he wrote it in 28 days, but mm. he was like so passionate about it for so long. It came together after so much work and effort of him like fucking scraping. And like for later someone else to just go like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to take this. I'm going to make a lot. I'm going to build on it. In the worst way possible. In the worst way. It's going to be terrible. It's not going to understand it at all. Mm. And I'm going to make a shit ton of money off of it. And you, a struggling artist, would be like, what the fuck? Yeah. (laughs) What the fuck? Uh, Apparently, Maggie Gyllenhaal was offered the opportunity to make a cameo with her character, Elizabeth Darko. Um, Maggie and her brother, Jake, 
stated that they were not interested in appearing in this film and refused all offers. Yeah, good. <laughs> Wise. This film was made on a 25-day schedule. Wow. So they did pump it out. They really did. Not that it was anything that special to pump I, out. I, I'm almost days. surprised it took that long. <laughs> Apparently, during filming, Ed Westwick had one of his eardrums accidentally blown out when an explosion went off too closely to him. Oh, my God. He also threw his back out while trying to pick up Davy Chase. Oh. Which is insane because she seems like the tiniest little girl. Yeah. Even I could pick her up. But maybe she's dense. She's dense. scrappy. She's, she's scrappy. like my cat casserole. She's <laughs> yeah. scrappy. She's scrappy. She's small and wafy, but she's heavy. There's this bit in Hamilton. There's this line that almost makes me cringe. Like, I like Hamilton, but there's this bit where he's like, I'm young, scrappy, and hungry. And me and Claude always <laughs> quote it. Because I something from my country, I'm young, scrappy, and hungry, and I'm not going to waste my shit. <laughs> it's silly Hamilton only works if you accept that it is cringe It is cringe, you know? it is silly I still enjoy it, but that, son- that, that song of like I'm not gonna uh, I'm not gonna waste my shot, I'm not gonna yeah. throw my shot I'm not gonna Whatever, I don't like that song It's just musical theatre's cringe, that's what's cool about it Yeah, That's honestly what is, makes, makes it enjoyable You are free when you watch it Because you know yeah. you have to sink into the cringe just It's great like my country, I'm young, and hungry. Like even when I watch Chicago A movie that is like probably one of the most Acceptably like cool and well made Like yeah but it's also still like Silly, yeah, it's fun, it's great. And then there's bits of Hamilton where I'm like This is fucking sick, yeah. like the Yorktown Song is so good in Hamilton I've only had my Hamilton Awakening last year because I went to go see it. And it is fun. It Ni- is really fun. Neither of us are theater kids, but I feel no. like both of us are theater adjacent. I, I can be I can be brought around to theater, you yeah. know? Like, get a glass of wine on me and a, a good friend and, and uh, yeah. take me to a theater production. I'll have a great time. I feel like both of us have always had a lot of friends who are theater kids. Yeah, yeah, know? for sure, for sure. Because we're all queer. Yeah. And annoying. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, is he is your flops wrist annoying? Yeah. God, that, that Yorktown song is so sick. There's this bit where they're all like basically like dancing around and rolling with these like muskets and firing them in their little like uh what well, blue coats, not red coats, and it's very patriotic. That's cool. God, I wish I was an American. No, you don't. only when I watch Hamilton. Not though. right now. <laughs> uh this film takes place in June nineteen ninety five. That's when I was born. Oh, where it was? What's in it? That's cool. Me. Oh if there was a baby in it, it would be you. I do love that it was fourth, like Fourth of July was the Halloween of this movie. Mm. That's so funny. Yeah, that's so funny. <laughs> Here's my last piece of trivia for you, and it's it's. I think you'll like it. Italian censorship visa one o two eight two four delivered on sixth of August two thousand and nine. Yes. 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 <laughs> Woo-hoo! Italian censorship visas. Yes. And thank you again to Unknown Friend of the Podcast, Vira, for finding, figuring out what the fuck that meant yeah. in the first place. Thank you so much. We really could not be fucked finding that information. <laughs> Do you want to hear some reviews? Yes, please. Reviews! Well, Rotten Tomatoes gave this film a 13% approval rating. Mm-hmm. That's film- pretty low. Yep. The film was largely panned by critics, often citing its muddled storyline, one-sided characters, and superficial dialogue. The AV Club gave the film an F, noting that the sequel took a few simple surface elements from Donnie Darko and failed spectacularly in trying to create a franchise. Yeah. The Washington Post gave a somewhat better review, calling it average but stating that the Darko faithful are being are better off skipping the movie entirely and are devoting their attention to the making of featurette and the commentary track, and that they have little faith that the moviegoers who once fell in love with Kelly's unique take on 
on teen alienation will see S. Darko as anything more than a very minor pop cultural footnote. Yeah. It's it's pretty it's apt. Apt as fuck. Mm. And I've only got two IMDb reviews for you because oh. none of them are very interesting. Yeah. Here's a uh, 9 out of 10 review called Really, Really Good and Worth Watching, left by Pink Tuesday 733 <laughs> How many Pink Tuesdays were there? What the fuck? Oh, it's such a popular handle, clearly. <laughs> I thought this one was amazing. The camera work was astounding, as were the landscape shots. The story was beautifully understated, although a little confusing. It was intriguing, <laughs> just creepy. The general feel of the film with the soundtrack and the camera work <laughs> and the storyline all working together was quite touching. I think it's such a shame. <laughs> no one seems to review this film. It is definitely in my top 10 favorite movies. I've never actually seen Donnie Darko. <laughs> Maybe people would enjoy this more if they don't see Donnie Darko <laughs> and saw it on its own. Overall, sweet, creepy, and beautiful. Almost perfect. Nine out of 10. <laughs> I just love, I've never actually seen Donnie Dark. <laughs> this is such a great ringer to slam, sling in the middle of it. And here's a 10 out of 10 review left by Justin Gaddy, 46, called Outside's Perspective. Dot, dot, dot. Oh my God. I'm sorry, but just when you use ellipses, just know how ominous it makes everything <laughs> it's sound. So spooky. I know people are like, what? <laughs> yeah, I'm crazy. <laughs> That's probably why this movie made sense to me. Oh, my God. Quite the twist. I tell you. <laughs> or twists, I should say. <laughs> Watch it without expectations and comparisons. But don't forget D. Darko. <laughs> Try not to be so critical about the different director or arguably the poor acting. <laughs> A little more optimism and open-mindedness. <laughs> Let your imagination go with the pot. <laughs> It's like P-O-T-T, <laughs> all capitals. I don't know what that means. <laughs> Check out the D-Darlo webpage and get it all layered out. <laughs> this movie also answers some questions about the first, especially about Mrs. Death. Oh, my God. I, want, I would love to lay out my points, but I don't want to post this one as a spoiler. Maybe the next one. About to watch it again. Please. <laughs> 10 out of 10. <laughs> Well, that was Justin Gaddy's review, Michelle. What's your review? Well, like I said, um, one of my biggest problems with it is how poorly made it is. Um, I do, I do genuinely want to give it credit because I do think it was made like it. It, could, it would be so easy for it to be a very cynical cash in for it yeah. to be made with no love for the original to make it just like really cheap and like at some points it is cheap. There's a lot of like jump scary bits. Yeah, but you know, I think there's a lot of ways that it could have been worse. Mm. And instead it made the weirder choice of trying to be weird and interesting. It's just, it's just not good at doing that. Yeah. And like I said, it, it, it part of that is also just the direction. None of the shot, like the first one is really quite inspired direction. And this kind of has nothing that really engages me cinematically. Mm. Particularly, there's not really any images that stand out as striking in any way. And there were bits of it where it just didn't feel like it did look like a movie. No, I have to say, I know that we have two as a bar of like, it looked like a movie, but there were moments where I was like, this doesn't look like a movie. Yeah. I think I think it almost is like a movie, but it's not quite. So I'm going to yeah. give it 1.9. Good, good rating. Good rating. Look, this film gets like an extra couple of points to be for Galifanu. But <laughs> yeah. um, 
because I mean, Cocteau Twins is an ethereal way to end any film. Um, but then uh, there was like the other eighty-five minutes of it. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, I think you're probably on the money. I'll say eight point nine. Uh, one point. <laughs> wow. Whoa. One point nine as well. Yeah. Hell yeah. yeah. We're in sync. I've never listened to NSYNC. I was doing very specifically the bit in The Simpsons they do with NSYNC. Okay. <laughs> where they do that bit as they dance in and then Milhouse goes, it's NSYNC. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, it's great. It's really good. Hey, hey, hey. guys, did you like that? Because <laughs> we're on social media. You always deliver it like I've just smacked you in the face. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, we're on social media. We're on uh, X at Rate Descend Pod. We're on TikTok at Rating Descending. Or you can email us at ratingdescending at gmail.com. Oh, we love getting your emails. We love, you could, you could be just like on in front of the podcast, Olivia Bernard, mm-hmm. and email us. But you could also find us on our own social media. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Michelle.SaintClair. You can find me on Letterboxd at MSaintClair. You can also now find shippers from the same producer of No Ordinary Love, Joe Beveridge. Uh, on YouTube at Shippers Series or on Instagram at Shippers Series. Where, where, Abby, you're taking a phone call? I just, I, we have the time. Oh, okay. Yeah, sorry, sorry. You can also find uh, uh, the hackable music player Tangara made by a few friends of mine at Cool Tech Zone at crowdsupply.com slash cool-tech-zone slash Tangara uh, to, to back it and stuff or purchase it and all of that. You can also find No Ordinary Love on YouTube at No Ordinary Love Series, you can find Unerased on Instagram at Minus 18 Youth or TikTok at Unerased.tv. It just gets bigger and bigger. Well, it's because I keep not letting go of wanting to pump Unerased and No Ordinary Love. Fair. Really, I, I I could just cut it off at Shippers and Tangara, but I just mm. I want people to watch all the stuff. Fair. People people I care about made those things, and I want them to. I want people to watch it. We're also on YouTube now. If you look up Rating Descending, you'll find us on YouTube. Yeah, but you know. If you don't care about doing all of that, if you've done all of that, you know what else would help? You could leave us a review wherever you get your podcast, but you know, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Because you know what? It really makes a difference. <sighs> well, Michelle, <sighs> that was S Darker. What are we watching next week? Next week we're watching Stan Helsing. Woohoo! Uh, uh, like Van Helsing? Yeah. But his name's Stan. We'll find out why. Pretty funny. So good. Pretty funny. I guess we'll be there because we have to. We have to. Woohoo! Oh my god, Ward Ward's coming in with a whip. <laughs> <laughs> ah! Ah!